Hello, listeners. The following clip is Kirk Greenfeld explaining the meaning of Nine Wives from Namor issue number 19. This segment should have been included on our episode 128, but we forgot to add it. So enjoy. Okay, we have a special uh, edition for those that are listening carefully to this episode. We've been talking about uh, Namor issues number 19 and 20, and I had said earlier to put a pin in the, the uh, title, uh, Nine Wives, and almost forgot to mention the reason why that title rings bells. There are two or three different uh, interpretations, depending on, on uh, what you think. First of all, Nine Wives is a play on the expression nine lives, as we say a cat has nine lives, and so Dorma may or may not be alive, but uh, by now you already know the answer to that. The other thing which was more apparent to me, but um, but I wanted to, to at least mention, there's an old limerick or riddle about, I met him while I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks. Each sack had seven cats. Each cat had seven kits. Kits, cats, sacks, wives. How many were going to St. Ives? Now, if you're clever person or you've heard this before, you know that the answer is not a big mathematical problem because it starts with, I met as I was traveling to St. Ives, and it's asking the question, how many were going to St. Ives? Well, just him, just the speaker. So the answer is one. But I think Byrne was playing on that when he called this issue nine wives, because that's immediately what popped into my head every time I saw it. It's like uh, seven wives, seven cats, seven... Anyway, the, I wanted to at least bring it up and point it out because we've been talking about the various themes that uh, Byrne has been using uh, in Namor and the Submariner. And in the 1970s uh, series, Namor adopted sort of an ecological bent. He was the protector of the seven seas and ecology. And through this series... You may not have picked up on it, but he was doing ecological themes, talking about pollution, about oil pollution, talking about um, war. He was talking about various uh, topics in the news, the reunification of uh, Germany. And this particular two-part story, Nine Wives, uh, was his attempt to deal with the issue of overpopulation. Now, I know that's a stretch, but this comes from Byrne himself, and I'm not certain where I read this, but uh, I think if you look at the cover of 19 with all the people crowding in around Namor and uh, Namorita, uh, you'll catch the, the message that, that it was a, an oblique way to deal with the topic of overpopulation. So I just wanted to add that to make certain that uh, people were aware of that because it slipped my mind as we were recording the episode or protected by the fairy dust. But uh, let's not beat that into the ground. Just hang on to that in the back of your mind as we go through the next couple of issues, because uh, we'll see if that comes up again.
Prince of Atlantis, your foul species is hereby banned from the seas and oceans of the world. Any who enter the waters will face my wrath. Imperious Rex! Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott and I am joined once again by Kirk Greenfield. Good morning. And we are continuing our coverage of Namor the Submariner. This uh, So we are covering issues 21 and 22. And I believe Kirk has the synopsis for the first issue. Yes, I do. Um, and a footnote here, as this series has gone along, there were a couple of hikes in terms of price. Uh, but this particular issue has a $1 cover price. But very shortly here, it's going to jump. Uh, and you want to be aware of it where that jumps, because I, I personally feel that had an impact on Byrne and his outlook and how easily these books sold or whether that was a barrier to folks. Because I felt for some people, $1 was, well, a bit of a stretch. But when it started ratcheting up even more, more and more people were dropping out, dropping away. So I have a summary for Namor number 21. Call my name, sorry, call my land. Kun Loon. Is that how you say that? That is I, how I believe it is pronounced. Kun Loon. Words and pictures by John Byrne. Colors by Glynis Oliver. And that will change with an issue or two. Editing by Terry Cavanaugh. Editor-in-Chief Tom DeBalco. Submariner by Bill Everett. The cover sports a dollar cover price and a wide shot of a ruined city in the Himalayan mountains. Overlooking this vaguely circular city with some crumbling spires is Namor, Nita, Misty Knight, and Colleen Wing, all with their backs to us. Only Nina is hovering in flight. Namor still doesn't have the use of his ankle wings. The cover is only vaguely reminiscent of Fantastic Four number 47, Beware the Hidden Land, uh, just only slightly in terms of theme. The upper right corner has a small banner ad that reads, The Search for Iron Fist. So I thought this was going to be in a continuing arc, continuing storyline, but I'm not aware that this corner ad was ever I think used it's any other on this, I think it's on this issue only. Yeah. The first page finds Namor pausing in thought in Vira's cave and Nina asking if he's reconsidering the action. He snaps out of it and takes a last look around and at the inert floating silent clones of Dorma still in their gestation bubbles, with air bubbles blocking all the naughty bits, of course. He says, no, let it be done and done quickly. He and Nina swim out of the cave to the waiting guards. A second page is a full splash page explosion, destroying everything in the underwater cave and dropping boulders and rocks upon it. They swim back to colorful Atlantis, and Vashti reports that the, all the activated clones were put to a painless death. Namor is told Vira has died in his cell, his last wish to be buried within Atlantis. But Namor orders no and orders the corpse to be thrown out to the boundary trench. Nina attempts to intervene, and Namor cuts her off, saying he'll brook no interference, even from his own blood. He swims off to attend to other matters, leaving Nina with Vashti to wonder at his apparent heartlessness. However, Namor swims alone to retrieve the royal gel, as I call it, and return it to the silent monument grave for Dorma. He leaves the seven glass containers in the open grave and grieves silently for her. 
We cut to the mansion house in New York City, where a shadowy figure, but familiar short figure, scales the brick walls covered with vines. The figure wears a cowboy hat and approaches the manor and watches through the windows as Smithers assures the plant creature, Sugar Lips, or however you say it, that all is well. But the alien starts and reacts to being observed at the window. The short, spry figure makes a run for it, but his heeled cowboy boots are snagged by a live vine, and he's ensnared before he can leap off the top of the wall. Smithers approaches him and demands to know who he is and why he's there, but he gets nothing but sass back. He strikes Logan with his cane, and the caption box confirms this is Wolverine in cities and that he may be outmatched. Cut back to New York City as Logan is tortured for days, and we find Lady Crichton denying Miss Joy Meacham her request for return of control of her company once again. Staring out of the full-length window, Kazar confesses he has no memory of the last several weeks, and he can't help. It's a done deal. Joy storms out, saying they can count on her to wrest control back again. Put a pin in that. We should talk about that later on. Shauna arrives and greets Kazar with a passionate embrace to Jacqueline's embarrassment, and she confirms to Namor in a private video conference that work in the Savage Land has been halted. She asks how Nina is doing. Now, Nina has been assaulted off camera and beaten by an undersea diving suit in New Warriors number 14, and she is now recovering from her wounds. Namor states it will be a long and hard, but she will make a full recovery, but that she's resting in bed, battered and bruised. He turns to go greet Phoebe Mars in the outer office. When alone, she says she's broke since her brother leveraged their company. She kneels before Namor in supplication and begs for his help. He assures her his help as she rises. She smiles slyly as she is turned away from him and says, Thank you, my prince. It's not clear if she's sincere or not. Cut to Misty and Colleen as they finish telling the tale of the Super Skrull impersonation of Danny Rand. Misty is convinced that the Super Skrull had access to Danny after his supposed death. Namor walks in from his conference with Phoebe to the outer office and compliments the detective women, and he agrees to help in the search for Iron Fist. He takes them to the sanctum of Doctor Strange, where it's quickly established that unless you have need of him, you'll never see the building on the street. The two women are shocked as they meet the magician, Doctor Strange, only a slight insult there, who examines the piece of vine that they brought and confirms it's from Kun Lun. Namor asks if Strange can transport them there, and they're off, they're on their way. Note, Colleen has been distracted during the conversation by sprites, elves, and little figures scurrying in the shadows on bookcases, on bookcases along the floor, though no one else reacts to them. Finally, just before they transport, she is sprinkled by fairy dust. Nothing comes of this. So let's put a pin on that and talk about that later. The trio arrive in Kunlun to discover it in ruins. Dr. Strange nor Nina accompany them, despite what the cover shows. Colleen fills in some backstory on Iron Fist, the Dragon, and the Thunderer, as well as Misty's affair with Tyrone King, who has just recently re-entered their lives. The trio climb to a higher vantage point, and Namor is blindsided by a zombified Thunderer who is draped in vines. 
Next issue, more Wolverine, more of the dark secret of Kun Lun, and we absolutely promise this time the true fate of Iron Fist, all in the tale we call Root of Evil in 30 Days. And that's the summary. Yeah, a lot to uh, a lot to unpack. A lot of um, tying up of loose ends and continuing stories. Uh, you know, the thing with Kazar is kind of he's. I think after this, he's kind of forgotten. Basically, he's there to explain that he was he doesn't have any memory of his uh, collusion with the Super Scroll because he was under hypnosis, and also this continuing. Uh, the purchase of the the, the Rand Meacham Corporation <clears throat> basically to take control of the, as you said, the the, the stuff they were doing in the Savage Land. Namor basically said, well, I'm just going to buy the company and that way I can control what they're doing and shut it down. And then maybe, I don't know if you remember if they mentioned if maybe even reverse some of the damage they had done. With, um, Again, a theme of ecology and uh, protecting the environment very low level but that is an undercurrent that namor acts to protect the planet to protect the oceans and uh, also as was established many issues ago the warming of the polar ice cap by these machines was directly impacting atlantis as the population was growing sick so there's some enlightened self-interest. There. Exactly. Well, he was yeah he was kind of brought in because of that because it was threatening yeah. Atlantis, but he is also wanting to uh, preserve the uh, the Savage Land, even though the Savage Land is really not a naturally occurring uh, environment. It's kept going by these alien machines set in place. I think was it the was it the Cree. Or is it the Celestials? Somebody or whoever I can't remember who did it. Anyway, they're they want to leave it a status quo, kind of like, well, we whoever put these machines in place, we're gonna let them. We're gonna let the Savage Land progress as it has been for all these years. But you're right; it is uh, there is a, a a strong theme of him preserving the ocean and preserving his people. Uh, it's not as been as evident in the last couple issues because he's been kind of a you know, this is kind of a whirlwind of, of the whole thing with the Super Scroll, and now he's moving into this other storyline where we've been giving hints of the Plant Man and the, uh, as you call him, Sugar Lips, but it's yeah. uh, the uh, other alien from the cigar. Yeah, the these plant creatures who are directly from the '70s Iron Fist run, which mm-hmm. was written by Claremont and drawn by Byrne. So he's pulling, and I, I have more of that when I cover my issue, he's pulling directly from previous issues. Um, and we wrap up the clone, you know, we're wrapping up this clone. Uh, adventure. Clone, the clone adventure and him. And I thought it was interesting that Nita does mention that she says when she's, she's kind of taken aback by Neymar's kind of cold reaction to her wanting to, you know, um, grant um, this dead scientist. He just, he just wanted to be buried in Atlantis because he had been, um, been shunned, ostracized for I don't know how many years, sixty right. years or something like that. And Namor says no, 
you know, he needs to take him out to the trench and let him um, food for the blind bottom feeders. And Namorita is like, maybe you should reconsider. And he's like, no, and don't question me on this. You know, I, I'm, I'm ruling here. You don't question me. And she says, maybe I've lived too long with the humans, but I forgot how hard can be the way of Atlantis and how utterly heartless can be my royal cousin. So, and I, I have think, the impression that the, the that that particular twist or, <clears throat> or underscore that that was positioned there intentionally to then show his private heartbreak, because the next page or two are silent as he swims to Namor or to uh, Dorma's monument to her uh, her what's the word Sepulchre? Ma- mausoleum or yes mausoleum and uh, privately grieves. So I, I felt that that her statement that he's heartless was immediately then contradicted by what we see privately that he's not. But uh, you know, and well, I think before it, he was just in support of Namorita, being very compassionate and supportive of her. So you know, th- this reversal is like unexpected. Well, I think I think part of his reaction is he is reacting to the scientist having basically decimated his wife's body yes, in order to try to clone her. He's got very little of her left. As you said, it's these six containers of what you call rolling jelly. And that has to influence his reaction because he, I think he's being a little, I don't want to say vindictive, but he's being harsh because of what this scientist is, is he had has all done the, without permission. He's right. He had all the good intentions of the world, but because he wanted to present Namor with his wife back. And I I think Namor would, even if he had successfully cloned her, possibly with her memories intact, would Namor still want his wife back? Because that's not really his wife. So I think that's why he's... And it's the... The, the, king, the king can't seem weak in front of his people. He has to be strong. Even though in private he can grieve and be uh, softer and more vulnerable, but he can't show that in front of his people because he's their leader. So right. I think that's also what he's doing. And it is—I it, never thought of it, but it's a nice kind of a silent um, tribute to him because he—he—he you know, he puts her remains back in her mausoleum that does show him kind of um, grieving at her coffin. Uh, and then we cut to. Uh, I don't remember why he decided to put Wolverine in here. Uh, so we see him sneaking into the the grounds, and they make a note to say that he knows he's, you know, he's not. Uh, no branch snaps as his passing. No leaves. So he's, be, you know, he's being Wolverine. He's being very covert. She's secretive. Very, which is, you know, he is the best at what he does, but uh, the. Um, the plant people are, I guess they are in touch with all the plants on the, on the yeah. estate. So they, yeah. basically okay. he's being watched the whole time. All the bushes, the trees, the grass, all that are watching him. Yep. Um, and they grab him up and, and it's kind of to um, bring in, I don't know if it's just burn one to bring in, you know, one of his favorite characters, but well, it also will doesn't hurt to boost sales, you know, in terms of, of not at all. as a guest star, uh, you know, 
that's not bad. I think that was part of the rationale in terms of bringing him in. Uh, the book has taken a decided swing towards superheroes in the Marvel Universe since issue 12 um, with guest stars galore. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's less to see it. Right. It's less dealing with uh, Atlantis and Namor, but since he's come, you know, since he's bought Oracle and he's, and he's, and he's doing more of his work above, uh, you know, in the open air above, above the water, then we're dealing more with, yeah, you're right. We have had a lot of, a lot of guest stars. Um, Lady Crichton has, has been continuing, you know, Burn rejuvenates her and she's been a continuing character uh, and she's from the invaders. And then we've had Kazar was really, his is a glorified cameo. Same with Shauna. Uh, and I'm kind of surprised that Phoebe Mars is still hanging around. And she is, to your point, that smirk she gives when he's, he is uh, comforting her. Comforting her and telling her, I will do everything I can to help you out. Because she basically says, I'm broke. You know, my, my, my brother spent all our money trying to fight Stark. And now Mars' corpse is in ruins and she is up to something because you can tell the way burn has drawn her that side eye she's giving him and she's is giving him kind of a a sly smile yeah that she thinks she's uh back in his good graces again exactly and it does show namor to continually be pretty naive when it comes yes. to phoebe when it comes to phoebe he just does not see her schemes and he is takes her at face value and thinks that, well, I think he thinks that all the shenanigans were coming from uh, Desmond, and that it Phoebe was, was more, yeah, was she was more of a victim and she was being controlled by him as well. And I think maybe this is her, her, because we saw in the last issue when she was dancing around his corpse that she felt free, and I wonder if this is her chance to kind of take control of her life. And maybe that's what she's trying to do with, with Namor. We don't know because this is kind of uh, set aside. We don't see this or in the next issue really, because we go head on to the, um, uh, to your point of with a banner on the front about the quest for Iron Fist. It is, but that banner is not in the next issue and it's not really promoted um, that way. So Kind of surprised me that they didn't didn't do more with that. But then on the other hand, they've already got their continuing readers who were in for the four part scroll deception. And yeah. so, you know, I I just really thought that banner was gonna tie into like other issues or or other series. Maybe there were some other series that were planned for Joy Meacham and Kazar and that they got cancelled, that they got snubbed. That you know that storyline or that branch was supposed to go somewhere, and those books didn't get written. I don't know something. It just feels like there were were lots of loose threads that were positioned and then didn't go anywhere. At this well, point. I wonder if it was a, uh, and maybe the readers or our listeners here can can confirm or deny. Maybe they were considering. Uh, relaunching Iron Fist because it had just ended. I don't think oh, four or five years earlier, Power Man Iron Fist had ended. 
Yeah. And maybe they were going to relaunch that title. That's why Byrne wanted to uh, he said it. Yeah. resurrect him. Or he just didn't like the way it ended. You know, he did not like the the resolution to Iron Fist, you know, right. dying. Well, and he wanted you know to the story bring behind it. Back. Behind Iron Fist dying? Yes. And the very abrupt end to that book. No, that was kind of that ended right about the time I got into comics. I remember buying that final issue. I remember those issues showing up on the, the rack. And although I recognized, you know, the the I knew it existed, but I wasn't following the storylines and I wasn't buying the book. And then it came to an end. Once or twice I bought a copy when it had a burn cover or there was something, a crossover, but I didn't follow it religiously. But I, I got recently the story. I believe it was printed in CDR. And folks can go look at this if I don't get the details exactly right. But uh, for whatever reason, the creative team thought things were okay. They were in be- being encouraged to um, try some new things, one of which was the red Iron Fist suit instead of the green Iron Fist suit. Wherever they were headed, they had their characters going. And then very abruptly, they were told with issue one, I think it was 125, they were told, oh, that's it. We're going to pull the plug on the book. And they were PO'd, which you could understand. So they, apparently, the creative folks, and I can't tell you exactly who they were off the top of my head, basically said, oh, you want to end it? We'll really end it. And so (laughs) they rewrote the last page or two um, into a death scene for Iron Fist and split up the team and, and sent uh, Luke Cage off as a wanted convict. But uh, they, they were PO'd and they, you know, they, they, instead of putting the chess pieces back in their places, they broke them. That's yeah, that, it's, uh, it's issue 125. Yeah. I just got pulled up. It's, uh, the writer was Jim Owsley, a pincer was Mark Bright. Okay. And that was when it ended. Um, and I remember buying that only because it says it's the final issue. I thought back when I was buying, oh, this will be worth money. So I picked it up. I had no interest in, um, you know, Power Man and Iron Fist, which, which is interesting that, that those two, uh, they didn't merge, but Power Fist had his, or Power Man had his own issues, his right. own series up until I think issue 50. And then, Iron Fist came on, it became Power Man and Iron Fist. They became heroes for hire. So those right. teamed up. Uh, and then it stayed that way until 125 when they, they ended it. And that's 86. So that's about five years right. where we're at. So he's been dead for five years in real they established time. established hero for hire in approximately issue 50. That translates to about 75 issues that that series was running. 75 issues is a little better than five years, maybe six. And that's not a bad run. I'm, you know, just in hindsight, second guessing Marvel. And, you know, I shouldn't do this because I'm not knowledgeable. I, I don't quite understand it. And I think that's, that's how Owsley felt as well. He didn't understand it either. Um, but this is Burns' attempt, as we will find out in about six, you know, five issues from now of reestablishing, putting the pieces back into place so they can be played with by another creator or another series down the line, because I don't think he was very pleased with how that series ended too. And boy, is it ever a convoluted explanation 
to try to undo it. Um, it, it is. It, it, we're going to get into some very complex storytelling with the. It's a lot of retconning going on. Yep. To uh, oh. to explain how how what who is who who is really who and how Iron Fist comes back. Yes. Which which in hindsight, I think the whole point is just to unravel what was was done. Uh, we'll talk about this later on, but, uh, well, it's right. I mean, the, I think Byrne does the best he can with trying to piece all the puzzle pieces together to make sense. But you have to think that what he retcons was that the other writer's intention or, you know, and that's, that's, that's comic books. There are, you know, one writer is going to, take what some other writer did and go, no, that's not really what he meant. This is, um, it's like the whole, yeah, it's like the, we talked about this many times, the, uh, uh, in FF, when Johnny marries Alicia and that's later retconned, like, no, no, we don't want him to marry Alicia. She's going to be a scrawl. Yeah. We're going to do that. So that, that way we get Alicia back on the board and she can be with Ben instead of with Johnny. So, that that that's the, the that's the nature of retcons, and they can be very frustrating. Yeah. Any more uh, comments about issue twenty one? No. Well, I just want to bring up the one in which I thought was cute, and you kind of mentioned, uh, and I think it's just Burn being playful when they are at um, the Sanctum Sanctorum, um, and Colin keeps seeing these little, their sprites or gremlins or fairies, whatever they are, they are just all over the, um, the, In the shadow. point. Yeah. Nobody's paying attention to them. They're just little magical things right. that are around. Uh, I don't know if she's getting actually sprinkled with fairy dust or if it's just meant to be that fairy is kind of sparkly because it looks like she's trying to reach up and grab it. I, I don't know if that is her being sprinkled with something or if that's just the nature of the, the little fairy creature that well, seems to be flying above her. At first, I was thinking the same way that you are. Oh, this is kind of cute. This is clever. But upon rereading it and looking at it and looking at it very carefully, nobody else is seeing or reacting to these no. creatures at all. It's only her. And nobody turns and says, what are you doing? Or, the, the, you know, it is her and her alone that sees these things. That's number one. Number two... There's at least three panels that depict that she is seeing a fairy above her and that it's sprinkling something on her. And it's not just, oh, that's dust, because the third and final panel, when she's ignoring it, there are all these little sparklies around her head. Yeah, I see that now. So I, I can... It's affected, and I'm convinced that this was a loose thread that Byrne was going to play off later down the road, that... that you know, something was going to happen. I don't know what, well, but I'm uh, I'm absolutely convinced that this was well. It could have been a plot thread. It could have been like a back door, so yeah. that sometime in the yeah. future, if he wanted to say, "Oh, she survived this thing because she was had fairy dust or whatever exactly. it was," that's what I think was going yeah. to happen down the road. Something yeah. was going to give her an additional ability or an additional 
sight or insight that she was going to be able to see something that other people weren't or establish that she had background Irish heritage and that she could see <laughs> the little people. I don't know. Uh, could have been good minute. What did, um, before we move on real quick, what do you think of the artwork on this issue? Uh, I like it. I'm trying to think. I don't have it open in front of me. I can't recall anything uh, wrong or bad about it. I like the depiction of Strange's uh, building and the interiors. Um, in fact, little, little side note, um, I saw John Byrne appear at the Mid-Ohio Valley, no, Mid-Ohio Con in Mansfield, Ohio, approximately the time that this came out. And he he was very effusive. He was talking about Doctor Strange and that you can't see his building unless you're in need of it. And the fairies, he, he was talking about all these things in front of the crowd, um, you know, when he did his his presentation there. And I don't think this book was actually on the stands yet, but it was at the time that this was being created. So when this came out, it's like, oh, that's what he was talking about. This was coming off the drawing board that he was dealing with this. So, uh, mm -hmm. Well, it's he, probably like uh, Hogwarts and Harry Potter. You know, it, they were some kind of enchantment that you just don't, that the muggles or the, the, the normals don't see it. They walk by and they, or they see a building, but it's very nondescript or it's something exactly. or it's some, something that they don't. Because Misty Knight says, oh, I've walked by here a hundred times and I've never noticed the house. Um, That's exactly what Vern yeah. is saying. Yeah, because Doctor Strange would have something like that in place that yeah. keeps you this from. This comes back in Secret War, not Secret Wars, uh, Secret Invasion. Uh, when the when half the Avengers are on the run. Mm hmm. This, this exact point of not seeing the reality or seeing instead some sort of a cover story, this comes back and plays in that storyline critically. So, uh, well, it's, it's, uh, have you seen the film with the, the, um, it's not the Phantom, it's, um, um, it's pulp, it's a, I'm, I'm blanking, it's the, the Shadow. The film with Alec Baldwin, The Shadow from oh, the nineties. Not seen that. Um, there's a, it's it's pretty good. It's a and it's a period piece, so it's set in the thirties. And there is a, um, there is a, a scene where there is a secret hideout or something, and they have an illusion placed over it, so it looks like a vacant lot. So people just oh. walk by thinking, "Oh, this is a vacant lot," with a fence around it, and really, it's it's a it's a building in disguise, so it's similar to that. Oh, we'll have to take a look when what is or what year that movie came out because that may be the uh, inspiration for this. Could be. That's a uh, ninety. Uh, it came out about the same time the Billy Zane movie, the the Phantom, came out. Those are both good films, but the Alec Baldwin takes place in New York. Right, I recall fights... it, but I never saw it, and then it's I worth... heard can so. Yeah, it's worth picking up. If you can find it, I think you can find it cheap, or if you can find it online, or just watch on a streaming service. Um, the last thing, oh, before we move on, um, the artwork, we've mentioned this before in our previous episode, that he has dropped the duo shade, so we don't get the, the nice uh, shading that he's used when he's been using a special paper, and he's gone to more of a crosshatch type of effect to create his... Um, 
shading and modeling. And it just gives everything kind of a, a thick, heavy handed. The inking is very, is very heavy on parts of this. It's very dark. Uh, Cause a lot of it is dark anyway, it takes place at night or it's underwater, but the th the inking, and this is Burns still inking himself. It's still very heavy handed and it just takes away a little bit. It's not that nice crispness that we were seeing in uh, some previous issues, but it's plenty dark. It is. And it's, it's dark anyway. A lot of it takes place at night and right. it's just, and, and the story is getting a little dark because we are dealing with, uh, and especially the ruins of um, Kunlun. And then when we see the, um, especially in that last page where, where we see the, the Thunderer comes in and kind of um, sucker punches Namor, who I think it's interesting. And Namor is bleeding quite a bit from the lip. You know, he yes, is, he is. And I don't think this Thunderer is anything uh, superhuman about him, but Namor looks like he's in pretty, pretty bad shape once, um, Misty is uh, picking him up, and we should mention that she has her arm back. She has two. She has a, uh, a new bionic arm in this issue. You're um, right. He doesn't make a big deal out of it. It's no, just, it's just there. Well, uh, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. I'm flipping around here through the issue, and I'm getting to page 25, um, where there, where literally. Colleen is getting sprinkled by the fairy dust. In that panel, um, it's not clear whether uh, she's got her bionic arm or not. But in the panel directly above it, where she holds out the baggie with the vine, she, she clearly does. does have two hands. Well, and so, she has through the rest of it. And the... she wearing a glove? She's got gloves on. Yeah, but okay. look at top of page 21. She's sitting in a chair. Her sleeves are pulled up. She's got two arms with gloves on. Um, when she's talking to, um, and the, uh, yes, you're right. Absolutely. But it does look like, and I think, and if you read the trivia of this issue, it says that intermediately she has and does not have an arm, but I think it's just the way, because on the cover, it looks like she's maybe missing her arm, but I think she's got her arm up kind of shading her eyes. Like she's surprised. I think she has two, she does have two, uh, two limbs and, I think in the last issue, we saw that box in her office that said bionics. So obviously yes. she's got a new arm and she's been fitted. Um, obviously she does in the issue I'm about to cover because she goes into battle and she talks about having her bionic arm. So, interesting. Well, you ready to uh, move on to issue 22? Yeah, good catch with that? that arm as I flip through here now. I'm seeing that. I got one more thing. Um, some people, as they got zapped by this, the Super Scroll, they got their memories back. They eventually would come out of it. Kazar says he doesn't remember the last several weeks, even though he was in New York City and the Scroll was in the Savage Land, so that the, the, the zap could not be renewed again and again. All of which leads me to think he, that Kazar is dumb. <laughs> well, uh, his, his wife, Shada, makes it. Uh, mentions that she says, you know, you're not necessarily the brightest um, bulb in the box. So basically saying, you know, it doesn't take much to uh, probably to cloud your mind. Yep. I think you're right. Absolutely. Okay. Let's move right. on. Issue 22. 
Uh, our cover price is still a dollar, so we have not hiked the price yet. Uh, our writer is John Byrne, our artist John Byrne. Our inker is now Bob Wycheck, so he's not inking himself on this issue. Our colorist is still Glennis Oliver. Letter is Clem Robbins, and I believe that is new because he was, I think Byrne was lettering himself. And now he is, uh, we've got a new letter. Not that I can, I can't pick up on that as well. Our cover art is still John Byrne. Editor is Tom Cavanaugh, and our editor-in-chief is still Tom DeFalco. This had a release date of November, November 5th, 1991, with a cover date of January 1992. Uh, 32 pages, 22, of course, a story. Uh, Byrne was very busy during this month. His other books were, he's still writing Iron Man, so he did issue 276. Uh, John Byrne's Next Men, number one. He's writer-artist. That came out. I've got conflicting voids in this, but some say that OMAC number three came out, and he was writer-artist on that. He was writer-artist on Sensational She-Hulk, number 35. And he was scripter on Uncanny X-Men 284 and the new X-Men book number, just X-Men number four. He scripted both of those. Now, the cover to this is an homage to Iron Fist issue number two, and that cover art was by Gil Kane and John Romita, in which Iron Fist is battling one of these plant creatures, and there is a woman uh, in a, some kind of a pod. And he says, uh, unless I defeat the uh, this creature, this woman is doomed. And in our um, homage, it is Namor saying, unless I can destroy this creature, Iron Fist is doomed. So I thought he was... Uh, kind of homaging himself, but he was the the original cover art. Because I think Gil Kane is credited as creating or helping create Iron Fist yep. with uh, Roy Thomas. Is that right? I think so. Go ahead. Um, but so he is, I mean, it's a nice cover. Um, Byrne did the inside art, but the cover was Gil Kane. Um, and what else did I have? Oh, that's it. Okay. Our story is called Root of Evil. New York City earlier today, Captain Scarf and a female police officer discussed the lack of evidence of Tyrone King in the police department's records, when suddenly a large man wearing the face of Tyrone King barges in. He grabs a captain and cautions him about exposing his charade. He needs the identity of Tyrone King for a little bit longer. Captain asks if he's a super scroll. The large man is quite human, and seeks vengeance against Iron Fist. Leave the scene as the captain has his mind readjusted as he witnesses a shadowy clawed hand. Cut to Kunlun, a land separated from Earth by more than distance. Prince Namor faces a large costumed man called the Thunderer, a man who taught Danny Rand. Misty Knight notices the man's body is covered with vine-like tendrils. The vines seem to be controlling the master of martial arts. Nemo rips the broken floor in an attempt to break the vine's connection with the Thunderer, but the large man is fast and agile. The avenging son has trouble holding his own. Colleen Wayne steps in to help. She draws her sword and assists the Atlantean. She leaps into the fight despite Namor's caution. She bristles against his chauvinistic remarks and continues to press her attack against the Thunderer. Two heroes manage to stagger the large man, and Colleen cuts the main vine controlling him. The Thunderer falls to the floor. The severed vine turns on Misty, Colleen, and Namor. The 
three heroes fight valiantly but no avail until the avenging sun gets to the root of the problem. He rips the massive plant from the ground and the vines fall dead. Misty clothes were shredded in the fight and she shivers from the cold. Colleen sees to the Thunderer as he awakens. She asks him if he can explain. The Thunderer, troubled with the ch- Thunderer, troubled with the change to Iron Fist, leaves the city and enters the valley of the Hythra. Hyacinth Hyacinth. We're going to call him the Hyacinth. Well, that's not really it, but go ahead. Face uh, species and the enemies of the city of Kunlun. His memories end where he entered the forest. Lee Kun, the Thunderer, tells a group a fable from the early days of Kunlun when the city was no more than a small settlement. A stranger in town was detained and grew um, violent. The stranger was attacked and revealed to be a plant in disguise of a human. Colleen suggests change in Danny Rand might be the result of his replacement with a plant being. The decayed vegetation is coughing and strengthens the Siri. Things are finally starting to fall into place. Our heroes travel outside the city and trace the thunderous trek into the jungle. As he approaches a bed of flowers, Misty faints. The group is surrounded by Hyacinth. Namor, attaches, Namor attacks the plant creatures as the rest of the party fall victim to the scent of the flowers. Namor, fighting the over, overpowering scent, rushes to a nearby river and jumps in. The Hyacinth think he has hurled himself to his death, and they take the others to the breeding ground and leave Namor to his fate. He is no longer a threat. The lantern tracks the creatures to the breeding ground and is stunned to find a field of pods filled with hundreds of men and women. The population of Kunlun are slowly being digested. Namor spots Misty, Colleen, and Lee Kun about to be placed in pods. He earns the name of the Avenging Sun and springs into action. He fights valiantly, but when he but but when he fights the high, when he fights the Hyacinth, he fights the world. Namor is thrown against a pod, and he is startled to find it is hap- its inhabitants to be Iron Fist. Epilogue: The New Jersey base of Plant Man and Stugar plant creature. A scream rings out across the estate. The Hyacinth cautions Smithers. He wants to kill the prisoner. The plant man says the captive, a short hairy man with unruly hair, held in place with vines, will make an excellent slave once his mind is stolen. To be continued. That is that. It is a good summary despite we need maybe our listeners can tell us how are we pronouncing this name of the the Plants? The plants, yeah. It's um I was struck H-Y-L-T-H-R-I. by something. Y L T H R I. I was struck by something as they, they surround our crew in the forest and the, the the flowers are putting them under. Suddenly a memory popped in. Uh the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy mm-hmm. and her compatriots poppies. are walking through the field of poppies. Yep. One by one, they're taken down, taken under. That combined with the haunted forest where the um, the apple trees uh, throw their apples at Dorothy from much earlier in the film. And the, 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 the trees are animated with these, um, you know, long faces and the claw-like hands. And they bait them to throw the apples to them uh, when she tries to pick one. Anyway, I just had a, a strange flash as you were summarizing this to, oh, I wonder if he's drawing from those images as well um with regard to to when they go under so well a lot of this is taken directly from 
and I read Iron Fist number two where he fights where the where the, uh, the the plant creatures are first introduced and they give their story of they were the original inhabitants of the planet where Kunlun exists and then humans came in created their settlement they burned the the burned the the plants and the trees and basically created that's why the the plant creatures hate the humans they are mortal enemies and apparently that has something to do with Iron Fist's original disillusion with uh, Kun Loon because he thought it was a peaceful city, and then he finds out that they actually they were destroying the the plants to build the city. So I think that maybe have something to do with why he left um, as part of his his backstory. But a lot of that is pulled. Even the the opening scene with the detective, he is in that issue. Uh, Captain Scarf, he is a um, a police officer who was helping Misty Knight and Colleen. So they, he's pulling directly from that issue that was 20, 20 years ago, prior to this. Um, and to your point of the, I think the, um, the plants, I think you could say probably he's pulling a little from Tolkien because the ants, uh, object to the orcs who are cutting down the forest. So they, it's again, it's the the plant creatures are who, you know, and but it's interesting they they didn't mention in well in your issue when they were talking about the plants being when he when Doctor Strange is examining that bit of decayed vegetation, he says it's definitely from extra it's an extra dimensional in origin, and then they think it's the 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 Harithi that and that they are they're supposed to be peaceful and it was the humans that it, that uh encroached on their area but strange says well if you've ever done any gardening the plant world is as vicious as anything in the animal world so we, we haven't got a clear idea of who who is in the innocent here you know did the were the plants aggressive or were they only become aggressive after they were attacked by the humans who settled and built the city? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I have not read the, uh, the original Iron Fist, although I've got them in a, an essential. I may crack that out this evening and take a look uh, to read it to refresh my memory. Um, I kind of skimmed it. It didn't. I didn't. But... It makes mention to um, how did I put it in my notes? I didn't read it. I didn't. The um, you know, I think I have. Um, yeah, I have somehow. I have. I apologize, listeners. I have. Um, I had part of my synopsis, and it, it has been deleted. Uh, deleted, I guess. When I printed it, I've got a, a gap in here. Uh, it's just more in the, the 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 Thunderer when he's he's trying to remember what happened. Uh, and yeah. This takes place in I think Iron Fist one oh one eighteen to one twenty, which is close to the end of that book. When the the city was attacked by the Dragon Lord. Shang Tang, Sha Tang, and Iron Man and Iron Fist and Colleen 
uh, and at this point, Iron Fist was dying of radiation poisoning. And he came back to the city to fight the dragon. He somehow seemed to make a, a recovery, and that's when his uniform changed from green to red. They defeated the dragon, drove it back to Earth, and then they left to pursue it. And that's when the Thunderer wandered into the forest and encountered the, the like the field of poppies or the flowers, and he passed out. And that's where he was um, overtaken and controlled by the plants. So this kind of recaps the end, close to the end of the uh, Pyro Man Iron Fist series. And it explains that the change when he seemed to recover from his illness and then he's changed his costume, I think they are, that's when they think that that's when he was possibly replaced by a plant being. And he tells the story of the, of the earlier settlement that they encounter one of these, that these plant people can assume a human form. Yeah. They, uh, Byrne has seeded that concept earlier. Somebody, I think it might've been Misty had made a comment earlier saying, yeah, but Danny, you know, Danny has changed even more than he changed when he came back dressed in the red outfit. So he's, he's underscored there was a change in Danny a couple of times. <coughs> he's been seeding this right along. So uh, Right, and we don't know what, because Byrne wasn't writing that issue. So whatever happened in the end of, of the Power Man Iron Fist book, to, to explain that change, that writer, whatever his reasoning was, I don't think Byrne is just using this old issue of Iron Fist, number two, to explain that he could have been replaced. And this is a way of bringing him back. And he's been in these pods um, yeah. all this time. And that's all the also the were the inhabitants of of the city. And you can see that in the pods, when there's a close up, there are some in different states. Some people look like they're right. And some look more decimated and some look like they're just skeletons. So, and he says in the iron fist issue from the seventies, the, the plant creature tells he's going to put iron fist into one of these pods and said, you will become one with us. So you're going to, we're going to using you as feeding. And it's kind of, it's very uh, matrix like these little bubbles. Or remember the the pods that the sludge creature put people in? Yes, yes. Very similar to that. When did the uh, Matrix movie come out? 99. Uh, so this predates guess. that. Uh, they're, like, they're like little gelatinous egg sacs. They're like, like oval globules these people are in. Yeah, um, and in that... Early issue, he tells them when he's going to put Iron Fist in, he says, you know, don't fear. It'll just feel like you are in a, in a deep sleep. So in other words, it's basically trying to say it's going to be painless as you go into this pod. Um, and Iron Fist does look, he looks a little emaciated when when he's thrown against it and he looks and he sees it. It's Iron Fist is in this pod. So that explains that maybe it's his training is keeping him from because I don't know, comic book timeline, how long he's been in here. Yeah, how long I he's been in this you. pod, you know. Um, and then we kind of end with the the, the Wolverine, uh, who is lashed up, which 
I would think if anybody else is writing this, why is Wolverine not popping his claws? He, I think he could easily cut through those vines. Yeah. Unless he's um, slowly being controlled already. Maybe he's already... Um, I don't know how these vines control you. That doesn't explain that. But... Um, well, he's he fighting. Is, he's resisting, but there's that's a good point. Yeah. Boy, are those credits... On that last page, that last panel with naked uh, Wolverine being um, hamstrung by these vines. Boy, is that <laughs> carefully composed. Yeah, that is, Good. yeah, that is, um, that is, uh, well, yeah, he is, yeah, he is, his, uh, and we mentioned that earlier in the book, um, Misty has all of her clothes are shredded. She's the only one for some reason. Uh, and she has to have something. Because they were up in the, they were kind of up in the mountains. So they give her, they give her an outfit to wear, but it just seemed like it's much warmer. It's kind of a, <laughs> a swashbuckler's outfit, kind of red and white. Yeah. Um, um, I, I was puzzled over that. I wondered if that was going to be her new look. Certainly for this adventure, it is. It is, but yeah. It, it crossed my mind. I wondered where that was going because it's so form fitting. It looks so good, you know. I don't think that was just a casual decision. I think Byrne was going somewhere with that. Again, if they had relaunched the Iron Fist and they are supporting characters, then yeah. would that be her new? Yeah, but she's not. She's not a traditional uh, superhero. She's a she's a private investigator. So I think she'd be wearing street clothes. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it was just an excuse to. To put her in something a little more flashy. Um, well, I, I don't think Byrne... Uh, let me rephrase that. Byrne's not stupid. He knows that uh, sexy babes sell. Yeah. He knows yeah. His, his audience is young male. And so he's uh, he's playing this game about having uh, attractive women in, in skimpy outfits. That's been true throughout this series. I got something else I want to point out. I can't find the issue, sorry, the page number, so I'll describe it to you. Um, when Namor jumps off the cliff to go into the water, um, I got a very strong vibe as he, they dismiss him. Oh, nobody could survive that fall. Well, that's a comic book trope. Um, yeah. But last panel on that page where uh, they need not be concerned about him, He's floating just barely, his eyes above water, the rest of his head underneath, looking up at them. He's kind of scowling. That is an incredibly um, moving portrait of Namor. Just before he, he swims way under the water and discovers the, the pod uh, nesting place, I, I got a very distinct impression from that. Um, a memory of uh, Apocalypse Now. And the scene where, um, I'm trying to think of the actor's name. Martin Sheen. Yes, thank you. Martin Sheen uh, is in the water um, and is, is um, stealing himself for the act of uh, uh, assassinating the, the main character, uh, achieving his objective. I just, well, I won't say too much more about Apocalypse Now because uh, that's another story. But <laughs> I got a real strong vibe from that, just... Uh, from that image. Well, Byrne has done a nice job of it's a it's kind of a, a uh, 
horizontal shot of Namor, and he is doing that water distortion where his head above water is offset from his yes. head below water, how it is yes. if you look through water like that. So he's doing it nice. Well, and the, um, the, the plant creatures say that they don't quite understand humans. Um, and they think that he probably should have died, but they say that the, um, It's a comment somewhere. They say that they they are puzzled. They are puzzled by um, humans. So of course they would naturally think that a human there it could is. breathe underwater. It's on the left side of that page where Namor is looking up from the water line. Um, oh yeah, he says I yeah I will never understand the motives of humans. Yeah, so that's why they're um, just before that he says. He's drugged out. He threw himself to certain death rather than be captured. Truly strange. Yeah. Well, I uh, the artwork, I think, is a little different in this one. And I do think it's because of the change in uh, the inker. Inkers. And maybe the... Did the colorist change as well? Or no, this... it's still... Uh, Glennis Oliver is the... Okay. The colorist, it's just the anchor, and he and Whitecheck was the anchor on it because he says he's the returning anchor, so he has been inking. Uh, he's inked he has been inking Namor before Flight, as I recall, and did an excellent job in that, as I recall. So, well, the inking in this is not as it's not as thick and heavy, right? Even though it's still when they're in the jungle, it's it's a bit dark. Um, and it's a little, it's a little cleaner when Burns not doing it himself. Um, but it's, it's still, I just, I, I miss the duo shade because it's used it so well in the earlier issues that it really, when it's gone, you really notice the difference. But yeah, I'm scrolling back through this issue. This, I don't see that the the in the jungle that it's darker. The whole issue feels lighter, brighter. It is, yeah. It's colorful. It's... There are very few shots that are either in shade or in shadow. Um, but I just, I noticed the difference. Uh, I'll leave it at that. So, in discussing this, any more loose threads that we found? Uh, Captain Wraith, with his mind... Uh, restructured or, or what does he say readjusted is the right and and i don't want to spoil it but i you know it is revealed when tyrone king comes in yeah it's not tyrone king because he says uh i cannot allow that you must expose my little charade to others and i need i have need of this identity again for precisely the same reason they did it before so he's hitting that he is He's not who he seems. He's not who he is, and he has yeah. pretended oh, to be him in the past. Um, we don't know what he's done to this Captain Ray. If we do, I mean, he. I, I think the point is there. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, just say that there's just a, you know, the, the captain. He's he's throttling Captain, and he's kind of looking at horror, and then we see a kind of a shadowy clawed hand right. forming. So we don't know what is happening. If this right. is. He's going to be dead or um, what's going to happen to him. But 
this I know who I know who Tyrone King is. Yeah, who's gonna be revealed to be you do too because you've read ahead. Yeah, and I think they're hinting at that they're retconning that this person is pretended to be Tyrone King before in the past, and that that has to deal with the end of the Power Man Iron Fist book. It was one like five years earlier in real time. So I think he is retconning events from that final issue and this issue. And then when it, when this is finally revealed, you, you said it before, it's very, very convoluted because yeah. we, we kind of deal with the super scroll again. Some of that comes back and it's very complicated. Well, did, when this came out, when you first read this issue before you, you know who, what the reveal on Cyrone King is, who did you think this was? Did you have any idea? At I the, didn't have a clue because I was not familiar I, with Iron Fist. I, so. At this point, I read it and I thought it was the, the Super Scroll, despite the fact that in the, the script he says, you know, who are you? Are you the Super Scroll again? Now, I don't know why the captain would even know about the Super Scroll exactly. to begin with. Unless Colleen or Misty or somebody had already told him, because apparently they're in pretty tight with him. Um, you know, they're they're friends. He's a supporting right. member of their cast. Okay, yeah. Uh, so Byrne clearly is writing that out, that that's not a possibility. But that's where I was at this point. I was like, yeah, that is who it is. I don't care what he's saying. I was convinced that this was going to be the scroll coming back again, because I really was not satisfied when he took off, you know, how many issues ago, two, three issues ago. And it just, yeah. Right out of, out well, of the when the, the Tyrant King imposter says, uh, no, I, he tells, he's asking me to super scroll. He goes, no, my dear captain, though I am acquainted with him, but I am quite human. So remember that listeners yeah, so that no, that's going to make it that's going to be important that's going to be an important part burn has blocked off the possibility because he knew that the readers were going to immediately go there so he's saying no this is not yeah the case. i'm not and, and we just had the super scroll so matter you think but the fact that this person knows the super scroll mm -hmm. is going to be part of this convoluted plan that comes up later um and uh it, it has to deal with a lot with the way the Super Scroll returned, and Byrne didn't like that, so he made some changes to things. That's why there's a. I think I posted an article in our one of our other show notes that talks about the changes between how the scroll came back and how it was changed later. But the, that's, uh, that's that's for future episodes. This last panel that you describe the shadow of the the uh, clawed hand. The more that I look at this and I look at the crosshatch shading on it and just the shadow figure of it, I'm reminded of how in the early 1960s, before Spider-Man was created, Steve Ditko did this sort of a silhouette with this crosshatch shading in many of his, what do we want to call them, monster tales, mm -hmm. um, his amazing fantasy, little morality for five-page morality tales. He used this sort of shading extensively uh, for silhouettes and for reveals and for, you know, if you took away all the, the you know, Burns 
uh, word balloons on this page and just looked at this as if it was a a, 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 a Steve Ditko uh, little morality tale. Boy, does it look similar in terms of layout. At least the last couple of pages, as somebody gets their comeuppance right. by, by something, it just it's really jumped out at me at this point. Not that the artwork is is identical or intended to be that way, but I'm just saying I get a, having reread some of those issues in in the uh, Amazing Adult Fantasy Omnibus not too long ago. I'm really struck by the comparison of mm -hmm. the color and yeah. that shading. Well, that's it's also the way Ditko drew uh, his webbing. He did that cross hatching like that a lot of times. Which yep. later they would later artists would 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 change it more when they when I think after uh, McFarlane came in and they kind of he redefined the way Spider-Man's webbing was done. But yeah, I'll never just a simple. That. <laughs> McFarlane, as far as I'm concerned, just you know, very distinctive. I'll give mm -hmm. him that. But and everybody I, followed. I, everybody I, followed that after uh, for years. After that, that was kind of the the, the preferred way to draw Spider-Man's webbing. Well, I couldn't um, see how that worked as far as spraying it and having it knot up on itself. And, and I mean, it looked like silly string. Mm -hmm. I, just, I think he I, just wanted to give it more definition than just simple cross hatching. Yeah. Well, what else do we have to do on this issue? We're getting close. I think, I think we've, uh, we've covered it pretty good. This is setting. Obviously the spoiler here is that iron fist is not dead. Um, I think that's revealed from the cover. Uh, we don't know what the plant man and the um, Smithers, Harithi and Smithers, yeah, the Smithers, the plant man and this Shigar, what their ultimate plan is. Obviously, it's maybe taking over the whole world. Um, and we're obviously going to get, we think we're going to get Iron Fist back in their next issue. So. We are we are closing up on Burns' original run. I mean, we've got what three more issues to twenty five when he stops his artwork, and then I think he ain't, he um, is he just a writer after that? Uh, script, I believe, is the, the scripting the word that was used because artwork really changes quite a bit after he leaves. It's a, it's a oh, uh, Jim Lee. Or uh, Jay Lee, Jay Lee, Jay Lee, and he has a very different art style. Very, very, very different. And as far as I'm concerned, that that abrupt change was intentional to show the extreme change in direction in the book, and also I think it affected sales considerably. Um, it's it's one of the reasons why I dropped off. I stayed on for a little bit longer, but I dropped after that because it was just a dramatic. It was so, um, it was so, yeah, he's up through 25. Then, yeah, issue 26 is a yep. very different cover and uh, a very different, it's Jay Lee, yeah. White Check is oh, still doing the ink. Totally different feel. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. Um, I've got one or two comments on this, on this issue. Um, we, we, <laughs> We know how this resolves, so we know that Iron Fist is not dead. Looking at that last reveal where Namor bumps into his bubble or whatever it is there, mm -hmm. I wasn't convinced that he wasn't dead. 
Um, you know, he's emaciated. I'm not convinced that he's not dead. He doesn't look alive to me, although the eyes are open. So I, at this point, I, when I originally read these, I was not convinced that this you was. You think he was going to? He was going to stay dead? I didn't know if this was a clone. I don't know if this was somebody that was trying to impersonate him and it didn't work. I didn't know, but at, at this point, I was not convinced that this was Iron Fist in the bubble. I mean, Byrne had already pulled the switch with the Super Scroll, and he's already True. got somebody else impersonating um, Tyrone King. And so I wasn't buying anything that I was seeing was anything, you know, I was skeptical of everything at this point. Um, that's one thing I wanted to share. The other thing is take a look through this issue at Colleen Wing and her uh, martial arts uh, skills. She's swinging a samurai sword until she gets to the point where she's uh, overcome by the, the uh, poppies or the, the flowers. The last scene you see of her, she's draped over a tree root and that sword is stuck blade down between her and Misty. Mm -hmm. And then we don't see her again. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, we do. As they carry her to a pod. Right. Uh, you don't see the sword. So well, the point that I was going to bring up, I, I, I've kind of lost it for a second here, but the point is if she was sprinkled by any fairy dust last issue, there is no evidence of it uh, in this particular issue, you know, th th that is not made clear that there was any impact and maybe there wasn't supposed to be any, but I, it had crossed my mind that maybe that's how they were going to escape this, that she was going to be either faking it or, oh, gee, she's not really under their influence because she's already been treated or protected by the fairy dust. But uh, let's not beat that into the ground. Just hang on to that in the back of your mind as we go through the next couple of issues, because uh, we'll see if that comes up again. Well, that could have been, uh, tr you know, he could have decided, well, she's faking it and she's going to spring up at the last minute. She's not really uh, asleep. You know, that that's out right there. Um, well, you were talking about the uh, the reveal of Iron Fist. I was thinking reason why I thought it was Iron Fist, because Byrne had just done this with the Human Torch like a year before in West Coast Avengers. And I was looking to see which came first. Well, he brought back the Human Torch in West Coast Avengers 50, which is 89. So yeah. I thought, well, he's just doing the same thing again. He's bringing back Iron Fist. So I never thought that it was not going to be Iron Fist. I thought it was going to, you know, he was going to be alive and he was going to come back. Again, I didn't know if it was to launch a new title or just he wanted to bring his character. He didn't like him being dead and he wanted to bring his character back. Um, right. I think a lot of these resurrections are are Burn trying trying to reset uh, the Marvel Universe to his mm -hmm. own canon. Right. Right. The way he thinks it should be done, which is, right. you know, that's perfectly fair because, you know, as a, as, a, as a comic book creator, you have to be prepared for that because somebody's going to take your work, change it. And then you can either go back and change it back or somebody else can go back and change it back. But, you know, I think we, Bern has been quoted as saying he whenever he leaves a book, he thinks he should leave everything back the way it was when he started. It kind of right. resets everything. So I got um, 
I got something else in this silence sequence where Namor is swimming under the water and comes upon the gestation place. One, as he goes under the water, you'll note that his shoes are being kicked off. They are floating oh, behind yeah. him. Yeah, nice, nice. So his detail. bare feet are exposed. Now we never get a close up of his feet, and they're wingless, as you can tell. But keep that in mind. And two, look at the extreme close up of his eyes. His uh, iris is green. Have we seen that before? Have we established his eye color before? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I'm sure we've seen a close up of his eye, but I've never paid attention to as what color is. I would assume it would be green or blue. Because all the other Atlanteans have those dark black eyes. eyes. Yeah. yeah. Which... I, I'm thinking that we've seen him as with blue eyes. And if we go just one page above this tight shot of his green eyes, when he's you know half in the water, half out, they look, I could be wrong, but they look like they're blue as he's looking up out of the water. So I don't know if this green eye was supposed to mean something or if that's just shock of anger, but... Uh, could be Next, a, maybe a one of our mistake. Do some yeah. research and see if if it's ever been established what his eye color is. I'm just curious now. I'm I'm really talking out out of my hat here, out of my league. That's all I've got. No, that's all I've got. Do you, uh, do you want to tell people how they can get a hold of us, Kirk? Sure. Um, you of course can find us most, fastest. The fastest, easiest way to get a hold of us is on the Facebook page. Look for uh, Third Degree Burn. And uh, we post a lot of stuff there. In fact, I'm going to be posting um, perhaps a couple of panels or a brief summary about Namorita getting beat under the ocean by the deep sea suit uh, that happened in between panels. Um, I think I'm going to add that just so that people who don't own that issue, uh, they can see how that was handled. I'm not convinced that Byrne knew that was going to happen, but he certainly made room and accommodated it. The other way you can get a hold of us is, of course, write to us at Gotta Get Burn at gmail.com um, you can give us a uh, five star rating please on the former uh, iTunes or Apple Tunes or whatever they're calling it now that always helps um, trying to think if there are any other ways what if, what have I forgotten uh, that's it I mean uh, to your point Facebook is the quickest way to that's where we post the new shows and links to our website true true freaks but that's the best way to you know, get in contact with us. You can write us. We are a little lax on answering emails on the, on the shows, but if you have a question, that's probably the quickest way is to post it on Facebook or react to something we posted, or that's where we have the most. And uh, to your point, Kirk, Kirk has been great about hosting little teasers and little, uh, just little tidbits of stuff about upcoming shows or questions to the readers um, about particular rip. Episodes were or issues we're covering, and that's where I'll, I post teasers, and that's where, of course, I post the shows when I get edited and put out. So, Facebook is the best way to get a hold of us. I think we have only about two more episodes now left in Burns' run, so we'll have to see what we're going to do uh, to wrap up our coverage and or what we do afterwards. So, for Third Degree Burn, I am Tim Elliott. I'm Kirk Greenfield. Thanks for listening. Stronger than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. And the nobles come down there, prince of the deep, so be worthy than he's demon. Lord Namor of Atlantis is the prince of the deep.
Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com that's g-o-t-t-a-g-e-t-b-y-r-n-e-d at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing till next time this has been third degree burn some men aren't looking for anything logical like money they can't be bought bullied reasoned or negotiated with some men just want to watch the world burn